we're going to end this long series on Elisha. Now, I told you before that when we started this series, this series actually originally, Pastor Christia and I did a devotional series on the life of Elisha years ago. And that devotional series was a part of a sermon series from Life Church uh, out in Oklahoma with Pastor Craig Groeschel. And as we began to do that devotional series, we said, this needs to be preached, like the whole thing. And so we developed a sermon series at the church when we were in Oak Lawn in Chicago area uh, from Elisha. And we knew that God had used that up there, and we thought to ourselves, at some point, we know that God wants to use that series here at Oak Ridge. And I began developing sermon series and messages and looking at calendars, and I'd had Elisha on the calendar a few different times, and it kept getting moved around. And finally, I thought the Holy Spirit said, this is the time, this is the season, and it has been a God-ordained season. Sometimes when you plan things, you think, is that just me or is that God? I think almost every one of you at some point has come to me and said, God has been speaking to my life through this series. I could not have ordained what has happened in the life of our church and how this series, calling us as people of God to be people of faith, has hit within the life of our church. It has been beyond timely, and the Holy Spirit has been here. No credit to John, all credit to Jesus. It has been fun to preach this series and to see how God is continuing to use it. Elisha's a guy who has ridiculous faith. He trusts in God, and God shows up in his life over and over and over again in miraculous ways, more miracles in Elisha's life than anyone else in the Bible, except for Jesus himself. Elisha's name, like Elijah and Joshua and Jesus, they're all kind of biblical language ways of saying God is salvation. And over and over again, Elisha steps into situations where God's salvation comes to his people, to individuals, to communities, to the entire nation of Israel. And Elisha's story, whether it's he himself or the people around him, continues to remind us of what God asks of people of faith. He asks us to be people of obedience. That when God begins to impress on our lives that we would be willing to burn the plows, kill the cows, not going back to the old way of life. I'm trusting what God has for me. That that people of faith would be people of commitment, saying, I am trusting the path that God has me on. I'm not looking for a way to get out of it or pass the buck or give it to somebody else, but I want to see what can God do in my life with the things that he's called me to and asked me to do. People of faith are people of love who extend compassion to the lost and the hurting and and even people where it doesn't make sense. To be people of ridiculous faith means that we trust God's provision. We believe that God can bring the water if we are willing to dig the ditch. We know that God can do a lot if we give him our little. People of faith trust the transforming power of our God, that he can bring what was dead back to life. He can do it in our heart. He can help us to recover what we didn't mean to lose. People of faith walk the path of humility, giving God control and credit in our lives. To have ridiculous faith means that we have sight. 
We have ridiculous sight to see and keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and what he's doing. People of faith experience God's favor that he extends to his people in the midst of what feels like impossible circumstances. And sometimes we experience what feels like a ridiculous coincidence, but in reality, it's not a coincidence at all. It's an only God story. It's a divine appointment of what God is doing, and he simply asks that we would be available and proactive in putting ourselves in places where God might show up. If you have a Bible with you this morning, whether it's a paper Bible or a digital Bible, I'd invite you to get out your Bible, or if you need to borrow one from the chair in front of you, go ahead and do that. And if you could lift up your Bible this morning and just say, I got my Bible, PJ. I'm so glad that you have God's Word. If you would turn to 2 Kings chapter 13, beginning at verse 14. 2 Kings 13, 14 is where we'll be in just a moment, and as we read today, we will read the events surrounding the end of Elisha's life. This is actually the last time that Elisha will be mentioned in the Old Testament, and it is the first time that he's been mentioned since way back in 2 Kings chapter 9. Kind of appropriate that we had a week break in between last time we were in this series and now, because there has been 43 years that have passed since we last heard of Elisha and his story. Throughout history, human beings have understood the finality of death and have desired to create something during their lives that would continue after they had passed away. We refer to this as a person's legacy. Or I love the way Christian author Max Lucado terms it. He says it's outliving your life. Sometimes our legacy is our material goods, our financial wealth. The things, the stuff that we leave in our will to other people. But it's also the heritage, the reputation that we leave our family and our friends after we're gone. It's the name that we make for ourselves and leave behind for our descendants to remember us, to hopefully be inspired by us. It's our attempts, as one famous quote says, to live our lives so that the preacher doesn't have to lie at our funeral. The Smith family was very proud of the fact that their ancestors had come over to America on the Mayflower. And so as a legacy for their children, they hired a top-notch author to research and write a book about their family history. Much to their horror, it was discovered that they had a great-uncle Clarence who had been executed in the electric chair for committing murder. They were devastated. They began to think about what they wanted to do, and they, they thought to themselves, we really don't want to include that detail and all of its goriness in the book, and yet at the same time, he is our great uncle. It seems wrong to leave him out of the book entirely. And so they met together with the author, and they began to describe the dilemma that they were facing, and the author thought for a moment, and he said, you know, I, I think I can handle this. Just trust me. I, I'll keep him in there, but we'll deal with it tactfully. And so after a little while, they waited, and the book was written, and it came out. It was published, delivered to the family, and they began reading through the story. They came to the section on Great Uncle Clarence and read, Great Uncle Clarence occupied a chair of applied electronics at an important government institution, he was attached to his position by the strongest of ties, and his death came as quite a shock. 
the legacy that we leave can either be a problem or a blessing to those who follow after us. Today we will read the story of Elisha's death, the legacy of faith that he left behind. We'll talk for a moment about what we can learn from his final story. 2 Kings chapter 13, beginning at verse 14, says, Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did so. Take the bow in your hands, Elisha said to the king of Israel. And when the king had done it, Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. Open the east window, Elisha said. The king opened it. Shoot, Elisha said. And the king shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Aram, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Arameans at Aphek. Then he said, take the arrows. And the king took them. Elisha told him, strike the ground. And the king struck it three times. And he stopped. And the man of God was angry with him. He said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you would have completely defeated Aram and completely destroyed it. And now you will only defeat it three times. Elisha died and he was buried. Now Moabite raiders used to enter the country every spring. And once, while some Israelites were burying a man, they suddenly saw a band of raiders. And so they threw the man's body into Elisha's tomb. When the body touched Elisha's bones, the man came to life and stood up on his feet. Now, time and again, as we have read Elisha's life and the stories that happen, God shows up and does something that is completely ridiculous and unexpected. Crazy coincidences, divine appointments, and ridiculous only God stories happen repeatedly. But maybe the most insane story of all happens even after Elisha has died, has been buried, and his body has decayed. In this story, I think God has something he wants to teach us about faith and something about the legacy that we leave behind us. God wants us to see the power of faith. Almost every time we read about Elisha in the Old Testament, his story is teaching us something about faith. And his death also teaches us about the power of faith. Jehoash, the king of Israel, goes to visit Elisha near the end of the prophet's life. And we're told in verse 11, if you were to back up a couple verses from where we started this morning, that Jehoash did evil in the eyes of the Lord. This wasn't a good king. wasn't a good guy. And yet he was familiar with the stories of Elisha's life. He'd heard how God had provided water for the armies of Israel and Judah when they attacked Moab. He had heard how God had blinded the Arameans and led them into Samaria. He'd heard how God had caused the Arameans laying siege to Samaria to hear chariots and horses and run off during the night, ending the siege. And for Jehoash, it seems likely that he was tying the events of Israel's past military success to the person of Elisha, maybe even more than God himself. He goes to see Elisha, 
knowing that Elisha is sick, knowing that he's suffering from this illness, and at his age and with the illness that he's suffering, it is likely that Elisha's time on earth is not going to be much longer. Jehoash, as the new king, he begins to wonder, what's going to happen for Israel? Because I've heard the stories, I've heard about the kings who've gone before me, and I've heard about how sometimes there was these difficult moments where Aram came against them, the the enemy armies came against Israel, and Elisha was there. And something crazy, something ridiculous happened, and the nation of Israel was spared. And so Jehoash is thinking to himself, I got to go see this guy and I got to see if I can figure out what's going on so that I can see if there's any protection or provision for me moving forward. He senses a problem, a need, and he goes seeking the one person that he's seen over and over again make it through these difficult seasons. This is human nature, right? We do this with God sometimes. We hear stories in our life, and there's these people that we've heard of, and we're like, man, it seems like things happen in their life that are just crazy. We have people like David and Shirley Duncan and other missions partners who come up here like Tom and Karen Asher did last week, and they share these stories with us of how God shows up and provides, and the kingdom expands, and people give their life to Jesus, and we think, whoa. That's so cool. They are great. And in our lives, the tendency is so often to go about our regular life, to do what we normally do, to just live life from one day to the next in our strength and in our power and thinking that we can make it. And then sometimes these things happen in our life, these crazy moments where everything begins to shift. Maybe we have a baby or start a new job or move to a new city or say goodbye to someone we love. Psychologists tell us these are some of the most stressful times in our life. They leave us clinging to something bigger, saying my life is transitioning in this moment and I realize this is now bigger than me. This is Jehoash in this moment. He's the king of Israel. And he's seen, he's heard how God has continued to be with Israel through Elisha. And he goes looking for Elisha, even though Jehoash himself has held God at arm's bay, has worshipped idols, and really is not a godly man. He just knows there's something here. And he goes to see Elisha. And Elisha wants to teach Jehoash some things and wants us to see some things. Wants us to know that faith is greater than any earthly strength. The number one lesson that Elisha's life has been teaching us over and over and over again, the thing that Elisha wishes Jehoash would catch is that faith and trusting in God is greater than any earthly strength. When Jehoash sees Elisha, he cries out, My father, my father. He has this kind of profound respect for this leader, this prophet who has been there. And he uses this phrase, the chariots and the horses of Israel. It was the same thing Elisha cried when Elijah was taken to heaven in 2 Kings 12. It was 
2.12. It was what Elisha prayed for Gehazi to see when they were surrounded by the Aramean army in Dothan in 2 Kings 6. And it's what the Aramean army heard when they were laying siege to Samaria in 2 Kings 7. Most Bible scholars believe that Jehoash is using this phrase because he's tying military success for the nation of Israel to the person of Elisha. The passage also helps us to understand this because Elisha's reply deals with the continuing military conflict between Israel and Aram. And again, it seems to be unclear that Jehoash really understood that Elisha's power and strength came from God. But he began to realize, I need something more than me. I need something that is bigger than me. The power of God displayed in the lives of people of faith is always greater and stronger than any earthly strength. God is simply bigger than this world. He's the creator of this world. He's the author and the sustainer of our lives. And yet the truth is we fail so often to turn to him. Sometimes we're just plain stubborn. We put it off as long as we possibly can. We look to anything else that might possibly be able to help us before we finally are willing to turn to God. I think of it like this in my own life. I can be a bit stubborn with various things, but one of the things that I can be stubborn with is taking medication or taking painkillers. For whatever reason, there's a number of reasons I won't go into at this moment, but I, I hate having to take painkillers. And if I begin to get a headache, I will do all kinds of stupid, crazy things, right? I, I will try to drink more water. I will try to cool down the air. I'll sit in front of a fan. I'll sit in a, a dark room, and I will wait, and I will wait. And sometimes I'll complain to Christia, and Christia will say, well, why don't you just take something? And maybe I will get on, and I'll start texting my mom, and I'll be like, pray for me. I've had this headache all day. And she'll say, why don't you just take something? And over and over again, I keep putting it off, putting it off, until hours later, I finally cannot function. And I go to the medicine cabinet, and I grab something, and I take it. And by that time, it's just too late. It doesn't work. <laughs> Some of us are like that with God. The kings of Israel were often like that with God. They worshipped all kinds of other false deities, they would go to Baal, and they would go to Asherah. They would trust finances. They would trust the military. That didn't work for them very well often. They would look for every other provision in their life. And all the while, Yahweh God was right there saying, Just look to me. Why don't you come to me? Why won't you put your faith and trust in me? I am so much greater than everything else that you are looking to. So many times in our lives, the temptation is to be like the kings of Israel. We trust in what we can do. We trust in our strength. We, we trust in our friends. We trust in our doctors. We trust in medicine. We trust in money. We trust in sex and just having fun. We trust in vacations and all of the things that we look to. And some of them are good things, except for the fact that we use them just to ignore God. And we're looking for strength from anywhere that we might possibly be able to catch our breath, get a moment, find some strength, see some hope in our lives. And God is sitting there going, I'm right here. 
if you would just turn to me. I'm available to you. All I'm asking is that you would have the faith necessary to look to me and to see that the greatest strength accessible to you is not the earthly strength that you can find. It's me. We don't get to force God's hand, right? Elisha in this passage, he still dies. He's a person of faith, and yet this is the story we learn that Elisha doesn't just keep going on and living forever. He's ill. It's noticeable. Everybody in Israel knows he's not going to make it, and eventually he does die. But the power of faith in God is so much stronger than our earthly strength. And Elisha wants to teach the king of Israel at this moment the thing that he wants to teach us. You can't control God, but he is abundantly good. Stop trying to put your faith and your trust in everything that you think you can control and trust the one that you can't because he is far better than everything you're putting your faith in and he is far greater and stronger. The second thing that Elisha's story here is trying to teach us about faith is that half-hearted faith equals halfway results. Elisha prophesies to King Jehoash, tells him to open up the east window and shoot an arrow out the east window. This is the direction that Aram would come from and would attack Israel. He says, this arrow symbolizes the Lord's victory that God wants to give you and the nation of Israel victory over Aram. And then he tells the king, I want you to take some arrows and I want you to strike the ground, symbolizing the power of God that is with you as you face your enemy. And Jehoash is kind of like, okay, I don't get this really. And he grabs the arrows in his hand. And I think he kind of looks at Elisha with like the one eyebrow cocked kind of look like, I, and he says, strike the ground. And so Jehoash takes the arrows and he's kind of, uh, one, that good? Is that enough? And Elisha is angry with Jehoash. And he says, you are only going to defeat Aram three times because of the weakness of your faith. If you would have grabbed those arrows, you should have just beat the ground with them, saying, this represents the power of God in my life. I need him in my life. I need his victory. I need his strength. If this arrow represents what God is going to do, I want what God is going to do. I don't want to half-heartedly think, okay, maybe God can do something. But no, I want all of him right now. I need him. I'm depending on him. My enemy is strong, but my God is stronger. I'm leaning everything into who he is and to what he wants to do in my life. Elisha wanted some enthusiasm from the king of, of Israel. He said, I want you to allow all of what God wants to do in your life. I don't want you to sit back and hesitantly wonder if maybe, just maybe, this God is real. Maybe he can do something, so I'll trust him a little bit. He says, I want you to give your heart completely to God. I want you to trust him. I want you to be radical. I want you to pursue him with everything that you have. Faith in our lives, I think, works like a potentiometer sometimes. A potentiometer is a, a kind of variable resistor. We're familiar with them primarily probably in volume knobs like I have on my guitar or maybe you've seen on a radio or 
an old TV. A potentiometer doesn't determine the maximum amount of voltage that goes through a circuit. It doesn't determine what the maximum amount of power that can flow is. That's determined by something else. But a potentiometer determines how much voltage flows through the circuit. You don't get to determine what God does in your life. You don't get to determine how he's going to act and how he's going to move. But much like you can take your radio and you can set it to 10%, you don't determine by the volume knob exactly how loud it is, but if you set that volume knob at 10%, you're getting 10% of the max volume. Or you could raise it to 50% and you could get 50% of the volume. You could set it all the way up and get the full thing. And what Elisha's saying to King Jehoash and what he's saying to us is why would you keep the volume knob turned down so low? Why would you keep your faith and trust in God so low as to wonder, to half-heartedly think maybe God could do something? But Elisha's saying, turn that volume knob all the way up. This one goes to 11, right? You can go all the way with this. I want you to pursue God with all that you have. Only God can determine what he wants to do. But Elisha had already said, God wants to give you victory over Aram. God already wants to do it. This is already his desire. I can't tell you in your life exactly what it is that God may want to do. I don't know what he might be calling you to do where you may be asking for him to show up. I don't know if there's a step of faith or obedience he's asking you to take. The question that Elisha's story is asking us is, where's your faith? Where's the potentiometer, the volume knob of your faith? Is it turned way low? Where you say, eh, maybe if God decides to show up, I'll give him a little bit of my faith, a little bit of my trust. Are you willing to turn the volume knob all the way up, to crank that faith knob in your life and to say, Jesus, I just want you. I can't control you. I can't tell you what to do. I can't determine what you're going to do, but I can know that you're good. I can know that you're powerful. I can know that you're present. And so all of me belongs to you. You can have the whole thing, every part of it. I will recklessly follow you with everything that I have, all of the passion that I can muster. I am chasing after you, Jesus, because I want to be a person of faith, not half-hearted faith, but a person whose life is open, that whatever God might want to do, God, if you're looking for somebody to do it through, come through me. Use my life. Do whatever it is you want to do, whether I like it or not. I'm yours, fully and completely. The story of Elisha's death also teaches us about the legacy that we leave behind us. Probably the most important truth for us to understand is that we will die, but God's Spirit lives on. This final story that we read of Elisha is probably one of the most unusual and ridiculous stories in the life of a guy who's just chock full of ridiculous stories. Some people from the nation of Israel, they're burying somebody who's passed away. And they're out kind of where tombs would have been built. And 
at that time period, tombs weren't particularly sophisticated and there wasn't much care given to sealing them tightly. They're out in that area and it's about the time that Moab has been attacking regularly. And as they're there, they look off into the distance and they see there's raiders from Moab headed in their direction. And so they think to themselves, we don't have time to bury this guy. We've got to get rid of the body. We can't continue to carry it with us. And we've just got to get to safety and hide. And so they find a tomb. I don't even know if they knew whose tomb it was, but it was Elisha's tomb. They open it up and they throw the body in the tomb so that they can run and hide. And as they're walking away, they hear, hey, guys, wait up. (laughs) The dead body hits the bones of Elisha. Like, he's been gone a while, right? At the moment we read this story, he's bones. The flesh is gone. The sinews are gone. He's, he's been decaying for a while. There's just bones left in the tomb. And yet, still, at this point, God is moving through Elisha. The life that you live in The body on this earth is not God's only opportunity to use you and your story to impact others. Even after we die, we have the chance to leave a faith legacy for our family and our friends where God's spirit can still use us to do something in their lives. God had used Elisha during his life to revive the son of the Shunammite woman back from death. And even now, after Elisha has been dead and gone, God's Spirit is still at work to perform the same miracle in another person's life. It may be that the same God who is active in your life now wants to continue to use your story to do something even after you are physically gone. We're all here this morning because of a long lineage of the faith of men and women who have gone before us, who've left a legacy that we are able to follow. We're here today because of pastors who have led the church of Largo Wesleyan and Oak Ridge Wesleyan in years gone by. Some of them have already won their eternal reward. We're a part of the the Wesleyan church because Orange Scott and his contemporaries stood up against the evils of slavery being overlooked by the Methodist church. We're here because John Wesley believed in God's sanctifying power and the work at work in the life of a believer. We're here because Martin Luther believed that it was faith alone which justified human beings and that scripture was a higher authority than the politically controlled church. Because Thomas Aquinas and Augustine helped explain what it was to live a Christian life. Because the Council of Nicaea and the other ecumenical councils laid the foundation of orthodox belief. Because the apostles who were sent out went to the ends of the earth as they knew it, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Because Jesus himself left heaven and came to earth, that he might die on a cross, that we might be forgiven redeemed and sanctified that the Holy Spirit of God resides not in a temple, but within the lives of his believers. We are here today as the result of a legacy of faith that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. The truth is, you may not see all that God does through you 
or your life. Chances are very good that Elisha never met this man, never knew who he was, and this guy had probably only heard stories of Elisha. And yet something happens at that moment he is thrown into that tomb where God's spirit continues to be at work and comes alive in this man again. There's an opportunity in your life that God's spirit may want to use you, your story, the legacy of faith. And there may be people that you don't know Or maybe there's somebody in your family and you only know of their name just a little bit. But somewhere down the road, they'll be watching and hearing the stories of your life. What you're living through. What you're going through now. And the Holy Spirit of God that is at work in your life will jump through the generational time and their heart, their spirit will come alive because they have been connected with what God has done in your life now jesus taught his disciples that we should make good investments in life by storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven not on this earth he's reminding us through the life of elisha to think about what you make the goal and the aim of your life is it just your own security is it just money is it just trying to make it till tomorrow Or is it saying, I want to live my life today in such a way that God's spirit continues to move after I'm gone? That those who hear about me, those who read the story, those who knew me when I was here, that it's not just money and possessions that they get when I'm gone, but that the very spirit of God that is at work in my life now continues to move in their life. The simple question is, What legacy are you leaving? What are you working for? What are you striving for? As a person of faith, God wants to remind you of the power of faith. That the power of faith, the power of keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, of trusting in him, of allowing him to use us as a conduit of his power, presence, and grace in our world, our community, and our family, it is far greater than any earthly strength. And so we have the opportunity to be people of faith. People who say, I want all of Jesus in my life. Whatever he calls me to, I will obey, I will be committed, I will love, I will trust, I will see his provision, I will walk in humility. I will do what is necessary to put myself in the place where divine appointments and only God's stories can happen in my life. Not because I am anybody great, but because I am His. And I trust in Him. Because one day, you will die. But God's Spirit will live on. And you have the opportunity even now to begin and to continue doing the kinds of things that allow God's Spirit to live through you even when you're gone. So what is the legacy of faith that you're leaving for those who will follow you? Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, we would be remiss if we didn't end this series and this particular message thanking you for the legacy of faith 
in the life of Elisha. Millennia have passed, and yet, God, I think almost every person in this church, myself so included, have said, God, we love you more because of the example of Elisha. Thank you for the story of this man of ridiculous faith. God, I pray for our church family, and I pray for myself, that we would resist the temptation that so often befalls God's people. That we would not put Elisha on a pedestal. That we would not put our pastors on a pedestal, missionaries on a pedestal. That we would not think those people are great, but I'm not like that. Help us to see that you are calling each one of us as as doctors Tom and Karen reminded us last week, to get out of the boat, to fix our eyes on Jesus, to trust that you are the one who moves through the faith of your people, that our lives, our faith, it's, it's just a volume knob. You are going to do what you are going to do. Our role is simply to open ourselves up and say, God, use me. As much of you as possible, I want to flow through my life Do your kingdom work in my life, in my family's life, in my community, in my church, in this world. God, if you can flow through me, I am yours 100%. The volume knob is all the way up. God, help us to be people of faith. Help us to be a church of faith. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We don't know what's going to happen later today or tomorrow or next month or next year. But we don't have to know those things. You're calling us just to know you, to look to Jesus and to trust him, to allow you, God, to guide the steps of our life, that we might praise you, that we might remember who our God is, that we might build our life upon you as we seek the kingdom of God today and in the future. So God, I pray that we would be inspired by Elisha's life and that we would see ourselves and say, I want to be that. I want to see God move in my life. I want to be a man of faith. I want to be a woman of faith. It's not my strength. It's God's strength. It's only my willingness to turn the volume knob up, to say, here I am, Jesus. My eyes are fixed on you, and my feet will follow you with obedience. God, I want to pray as well this morning, just a prayer of blessing on this church family. I thank you, God, that you have given me the gift of allowing me to be their pastor, one of their co-pastors. I love them, and I feel their love and prayers. I thank you for the gift, Father, that you and I have to spend some time together. And I pray that you would be with this church family in a unique way, even while I'm away for a season. God, I pray that you would carry them, care for them. You are the good shepherd. I simply try to reflect you as their local shepherd. But God, I pray that you would take them into your arms, that you would care for your sheep, love your sheep, call them by name, help them to hear your voice and to know that it is you that is calling. 
guide, protect, direct, provide. And God, I look forward to seeing them again in a short period of time. Bless them and go with them as I go in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, Oak Ridge. Go with God. God bless. Don't forget tithes and offerings on your way out online uh, as well, oakridgewc.com slash give. And we would love to invite you to come back next week. We'll have a guest speaker with us. God bless.